Hi, this is Levi. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to take a quick minute to introduce a few of the other podcasts in the WCF Podcast Network. Tom and Naomi are exploring how we interact in our ecclesial relationships in From the Platform. It's a very in-depth series that is incredibly helpful for understanding and developing compassion and better listening practices. That's From the Platform. Sam Taylor from Cleveland, Ohio, produces weekly devotionals in Pause to Consider. Think uh, Mr. Rogers meets uh, Fireside Chat. I love Sam's humble style and think every episode is fantastic. You can find both of those wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at wcfoundation.org. Now, here's the show. Welcome back to Little Faith. This is a podcast sponsored by the Williamsburg Christadelphian Foundation. A Little Faith podcast explores both the challenges and hope of living a life of faith. I'm Helen and I'm here with Audrey Small. And today we're going to be talking about a very special person in Audrey's life, her son Josiah. And we're going to be talking about Audrey's faith and family and her experiences. Um, that she has had over the last 20 or so years. Hi, Audrey. Hi. It's really nice to be sitting on your couch next to you. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, my name is Audrey Small. I'm going to be 61 next month. I'm a servant of the Most High God. I'm married but separated from my husband. I have four children. Three of them are living and my youngest son Josiah died about two years ago and that's the person that I'll be talking about. Um, I live in Baltimore, Maryland. I work as a home health nurse with a specialty in psychiatrics so I go to people's homes and help them to deal with whatever's going on with them. Tell me about Josiah. Josiah was born January 5th, 2001 Uh, I was in my 40s when I found out I was pregnant, and I was not happy. I was all done with having children. I also had a medical condition called chronic fatigue syndrome, and I was very, very tired. I was also, at that time, homeschooling my three older children. So I had a lot going on. Um... So when people said congratulations, I would start crying. And it wasn't until my fifth month when I felt Josiah move Mm. that I fell in love with him. Mm. But I was still afraid that I couldn't handle even the delivery because of my energy was so low. Mm. So I got to the hospital and things kind of stalled. It wasn't coming, even though my body was ready and I had a midwife and she started talking to me she asked me you know how I was feeling and I shared with her that I was really nervous because I didn't have the energy and didn't think that I could even deliver the baby and I got up and walked around and when I came back I was able to deliver him and it was maybe within 10 minutes and we were so excited I was excited that I actually delivered him and He was beautiful. My husband and I, we really, you know, it was a wonderful time. But later that night after my husband went home, a nurse woke me up and she was very urgent and looked upset and told me I had to nurse Josiah 
And I said, okay, what's going on? And she said, well, your son's weight is really low. So the doctor wants you to nurse a lot to bring up his weight. So I was like, okay. Was he in the same room with you at that mm-hmm. point? Yeah. Yes, he yeah. was rooming in. Yeah. yeah, he was rooming in. So that's what I did. And every time I nursed him, I noticed that he would choke and spit up. And it wasn't, it wasn't a little, it was a lot. And I tried to tell the nurses, and they said that was normal. But I had three other children, so I knew that wasn't normal. (laughs) So when my husband came in the morning, I told him about Josiah coughing up and the weight thing. And um, he saw it, too. We called the nurses. By the time the nurses came, Josiah wasn't doing it. So they reassured us it was normal until they did it while he was there. And then they rushed in and had to really work to get him cleared again. The uh, doctor came in and explained to us that not only was Josiah low birth weight, but that his head was extremely small. And that most of the time when a person's head is severely small, there's something wrong going on with the brain. And, you know, he didn't know what, but we thought he was fine. We were like, oh, he'll be fine. I remember my husband saying, but he's beautiful and, mm. you know, he'll be fine. And then um, he had an x-ray done and came back. They were looking to see our brains, our skulls have spaces called fontanelles. And they were thinking maybe Josiah's head was so small because he didn't have those openings in his skull. And... Uh, but that wasn't the case. There were spaces, so that was okay. So after we left the hospital, they told us to follow up with a neurologist, which we did. And the neurologist had an MRI done. And he met with us, and he said, it looks like he might have lysencephaly, but we're not sure. I had never heard of it before. I didn't know what he was talking about. But it means smooth brain. So listen is smooth, and cephaly is the head or the brain. So it means smooth brain. Mm-hmm. Normally, our brains are such that our brain forms, we have our brain stem, that our brain, and it goes all the way to the top underneath our skull, and there's lots of ridges and valleys. So if the brain is smooth, that means that it didn't develop all the way to the top which can severely affect a child's development and what they can you know, do physically and mentally. So we decided to go to Boston's Children's Hospital, which was about a two and a half drive from where we were living. Mm-hmm. And we were blessed to see the neurology in chief at that time at Boston Children's. And he looked at the MRI we had and he said, this is not, it's not a good picture. So we took another one and um, he called us with the results and told us that Josiah did have lysencephaly and he said it was micro lysencephaly. Micro means small. So he had a small, smooth brain. So lysencephaly is very rare. Micro lysencephaly is is even rarer. Mm -hmm. And I had never learned it in nursing school. And a lot of the regular docs and stuff that they had never heard of it either. So we were very blessed that we went there. Josiah from the beginning was very nosy, very uh, looked around a lot, very aware. Very alert. Very alert. And I remember after they knew something was really wrong with his brain, he had a scan and different tests of all of his body to see if anything else was wrong. 
So he was getting a scan of his kidneys and we knew something was up because the technician rushed out and said, I just have to communicate with the doctor. But Josiah was laying on the examining table. We turned around to look at him. He had his head all the way up and he was looking all around, like just wanted to, to see the world. And he was only like a week wow. old, you know, he just from the beginning. And his eyes really connected with people, which didn't go with what they were saying was wrong. Yes. So we switched and had all the specialists in one place at Boston Children's. Um, one time, he and I were waiting for them to bring the car. They had valet service. He had had his testing or whatever, and we were waiting. And there was a woman sitting on a bench nearby, and I barely noticed her. But Josiah leaned over and held her hand, and the woman started crying. And Josiah just kept holding her hand. And she said, thank you, that she needed that, that that was very healing. Mm. That was just amazing to me. Mm. Josiah couldn't really talk. He could just say a few words. So his communication was his body. And he, and he was super sensitive to how people felt. Mm. Whenever we were in an elevator, normally when you're in an elevator with strangers, you know, you kind of don't look at each other. It's quiet. But that wasn't the case with Josiah. If you were in the elevator with Josiah, everybody was talking. I mean, he just had that effect on people. Um, one time, we were at Boston Children's again, and we were on one of the really high floors, and we got on, and there was a man. Near, we ended up in the back because he had the wheelchair, and we didn't want to block people. And this man came on, and he was in the front, and he obviously had some kind of a, a dis physical disability, and Josiah leaned forward, he had long arms, and he reached over and touched that man. And they communicated just with looking and with touch. And um, by the time the man got off first, when he got off, he um, turned around and looked at Josiah and he had tears in his eyes. And Josiah also had tears in his eyes. Wow. That's the amazing effect that Josiah had on a people. A real sense of connection mm -hmm. with people. Mm -hmm. Josiah was a lot of work. Um, when he was six months old, we went to an international conference for kids with lysencephaly. And we met the leading researcher at that time, uh, Dr. William Dobbins, and he looked at his MRI in Josiah and he told us that Josiah wouldn't be able to see, walk, talk, sit, roll over, um, that he probably wouldn't live to two years old. I mean, just it was just really bad news. And we asked him, you know, how do you know this? And he said, because he's a leading researcher, so he knows. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that God used Josiah to show that he existed and that he has the final say-so about what we can and cannot do. So Josiah was able to sit up and roll over. He took his first step when he was 23 months. He walked a little different than others. Um, he had a kind of wide base gait, but he did walk. He could even run a little bit. Um, he did have seizures. He had a lot of difficulty with feeding, and I tried breastfeeding, and that didn't work. He was too weak. So we went to the bottle. After eight months, 
when he was down to only drinking one and a half ounces per day of the formula, we knew that this wasn't going to work. So he had a G tube put in, which just means it's a feeding tube that goes right into your stomach. About a year later, um, Josiah was having a hard time with the G tube feeds, and he kept coughing and vomiting and choking. So we went to the gastroenterologist at Boston Children's, and she had a test done to watch his swallow and you know his reflux. And she told us that Josiah was silently refluxing all the time meaning you know how you have heartburn and it comes up but his was much worse because it actually came out of his mouth but for him he wasn't getting his nutrition that he needed wasn't staying down so he had a special surgery done so what they did is they took the top of the stomach they wrapped it around the end of his esophagus so that the opening to his stomach was smaller so things could go down but it would be harder for things to come up. Yeah. And that did help him, although he still needed medicine mm-hmm. to help with that too. So he was about two at this point? He was, yeah, almost two. Almost two. And um, how were you feeling? I mean, when you look back, how were you feeling at that time? I was very upset, especially the first few months after he was born mm-hmm. um, and finding out how bad things were. I didn't want to get pregnant. I was very tired, and then God allowed us to have a child with all these special needs that mm-hmm. probably wouldn't even live very long. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand, and I was angry, and I distanced myself. I still went to our faith community and attended, mm-hmm. you know, on Sundays and stuff. But I was distanced from him. I was angry, and I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And that lasted a while, um, but my faith community stepped in, and different ones reached out to us in different mm. ways. And it really helped. Mm. And in what way did you feel distant from God? I felt like he let me down. Yeah. <laughs> and that I knew intellectually that he knew me. But then I'm thinking, well, if he knows me, then he knows I can't handle this. So I, I really don't understand this. And um, it was so hard. But I got no comfort, distance from God, because he's a true source of comfort. So I got to the point where I had a choice. I could continue the way I was, or I could get comfort, which meant turning back to him, Mm -hmm. even though I didn't understand. Once I turned back to him, that that really helped. Not Mm -hmm. that it wasn't rough, but it, it, it really helped to connect with him and rely and trust him. And to pray. And to pray. I prayed a lot. Josiah was very, very involved medically. He needed 24-7 care. And for the first few months, we didn't have any help with Josiah. You had to be with him constantly. You had to monitor his G-tube feeds, watch for seizures, make sure he wasn't choking. He got sick a lot. It wasn't uncommon for us to go to the emergency room once a month at least and to the doctors every week or even more than that. He couldn't regulate his body temperature, so if it was cold outside, he got too cold. And if it was warm, he got too hot. Mm. So we were constantly monitoring that, too. It was was a lot. It was Mm. an awful lot, and it was overwhelming. But it became more doable when I turned to our Heavenly Father again. Mm. Tell me more about Josiah at church. Oh, boy. Josiah loved going there. He loved it. It was the highlight of his week. Um, He loved to worship God. 
and he loved all the people there. Um, he connected with everybody. He did high fives with the men and he'd do a kind of like a hand game with the women, but he touched everybody and everybody responded. They would give him hugs, they would talk to him. He always made people laugh. Mm -hmm. He couldn't really sing, but he would try to sing. And I bought him a, a Bible and I bought him his own hymn book so he could stand up, you know, and he really enjoyed that. He listened to the talk very intently to the point where if some of the speakers gestured with their hands, Josiah would mimic and he would be gesturing too. So he really paid attention and loved the whole process. In fact, I get him out of the car in the parking lot and I would try and get his stuff and I'd turn around he's already running to the front door. I mean, that's how excited he was. Extremely excited. That was the highlight for him. He loved it. Um, and he loved being there and he lifted everybody up. Mm -hmm. He just had a special touch. He didn't know anything about difference. So he had unconditional love, no filters. Mm -hmm. You know, so he didn't know this person was quiet or that this person looked this way or mm -hmm. he didn't know that. So he was loving to everybody. Mm -hmm. You said earlier when, when we were talking in the kitchen about how forgiving he was and how he didn't feel anger very much. T tell me more about that. He was happy most of the time. Yeah. He lived in the moment and he was completely content in his life. So he had no worries. He trusted in us. He was happy. If he was unhappy or frustrated, that only lasted for a little while and he'd go back to being happy. Um, he had a lot of tests, a lot of tests all through his life and some of them were very painful. But the minute the test was over, he would hug the person that had just caused him pain. Wow. So he was extremely forgiving. He didn't hold grudges. It's back to his loving self. Such an example. Mm -hmm. Such an example. Yeah. What challenges did Josiah face as he grew? Tell me more about the rest of his childhood. Well, um, when he was about six or eight months old, he started having some services. So he had physical therapy coming in. He had occupational therapy. He had a visiting nurse that came twice a week. And that helped a lot because they were checking on him. They were also teaching and supportive of him. And all the time he was happy, though. <laughs> he was very happy. Um, he loved music. When I was pregnant with him, I could tell he loved music because the closer I would go to music, the more active he would be. And yeah. if I went back, so he just, when he heard music, he would start moving to the beat. And we had a piano when he was little, and his big sister used to play the piano, and she put him on his lap, and the two of them would play together. Aww. He just really loved it. Um, he would make sounds because he couldn't really talk or whatever, but it would make everybody smile. Tell me more about your children and their relationship with Josiah. Well, I have the three older children, my firstborn, was nine when he was born then my second child was I'm sorry she was 11 he was nine and then I had a seven-year-old and they were extremely attentive and loving to Josiah mm. I spent so much more time with him than them and I felt very very guilty but they did not see it that way they any time they could spend with him they they did and they helped take care of him and 
um, I think it just really opened their eyes, you know, to life and death mm. and cherishing and learning not to be selfish mm. because you couldn't be selfish and take care of Josiah. The faith community that we were with, we were blessed where most of the members live very close. They had it worked out before we even thought of it that whenever Josiah had to stay in the hospital, they would take our kids and even take care of our dog. So we had that, you know, it was definitely an adjustment for them, having a sibling that was so different. And Josiah did develop mentally to about two and a half to three years old, but he stayed there. He didn't go on, so he was always a baby. Mm. And a baby or a toddler always needs care. So take us through a day, a kind of a day and night in, in Josiah's life, for people listening to understand more about his needs and, and how he had to be cared for. Okay, well, I'll go to when he started going to school and... Um, we were blessed with having really good nursing care, which was good because he required a lot. So he would wake up in the morning and he would have to be washed and dressed because remember, he's not really able to, he could help a little bit, but really he was totally dependent. And he wore diapers, he was never trained for that. And you know, you brush his teeth and stuff and you get him dressed. And that was a challenge because every day you had to decide how to dress them based on whether it was going to be hot or cold. School always tended to be cold. So there would be layers and then we would just ask the nurses to take off or put on as you need to. So Josiah went to school three days a week for half the day. And that was, he never could go a whole day because it was just too tiring for Mm -hmm. him. So the whole time that you're with Josiah, you are... He got medications a lot, and remember, he didn't take anything by mouth. It had to go through his G-tube, and you have to be careful because certain medications don't mix. There were certain times for things, Um, and we gave him water every hour, and then he would have a few hours break during the day where he didn't have his feed. Every day, we worked to keep him alive because he was so fragile, and he would get sick very easily and his sickness was was severe mm. and he was hospitalized quite a bit to the point where when we would go to the emergency room the nurses and doctors attendants and everybody that worked there knew him because we were there so much and because of his personality he just reached out mm. you know again he had no filters so it didn't matter what your job was if you were a janitor or a tech it didn't matter to him he would just reach out Yeah, so it was always that. Every day I had to start working when I was, when he was eight, because my husband and I separated when he was seven, and I had to go back to work. And while I was at work, I would get calls from the nurses or the different specialists trying to navigate his care. There were times when his stomach would bleed a lot, so you'd have to go to the emergency room. Or the nurse would say, he's too hot, what do I do? Mm. You know, and this was like a daily thing. And if a nurse couldn't come, then I was the one to stay home and take care of him. So it was a lot. Mm. And then what were the nights like? He usually slept pretty well, but he still got feedings at night. He still had medications. And he still had to have water. Mm. Um, So... 
every two hours during the night. We would give him water and we'd give him medications. Most of the time he was asleep, but you can't sleep and do this every... So it was really hard. We took turns and mostly really it was my daughter and one of my sons that they would kind of go back and forth until we were blessed with a coordinator who said, this is crazy. And then we got um, nursing care during the night and what a difference that made to be able to sleep at night. You must have been so tired. Yeah, yeah. Just beyond exhausted. You know, when you have a newborn or a baby, you know, you feel like you're sleepwalking. It's just so much work. Yeah. And it just continued his whole life. And the last year or so, he really went down, and he wasn't able to sleep that well. So it really, then that really took took a lot. You know, he started having difficulty breathing. He started choking more. Mm-hmm. His skin started to break down. How long did Josiah live for? He lived until he was 17, and they didn't think he'd make it to two was amazing it was amazing it was I thought that um, because I knew he was going to die young and I saw him going down I thought that when he died it wouldn't be that hard for me to Mm. grieve because I had already grieved but um, that was not true (laughs) it was beyond it's been beyond devastating Mm. I, I have no words for it I it's so painful that I wouldn't even wish my worst enemy to go through that experience. Mm. Your child is a part of you, not only emotionally, but physically, and especially women, we feel that symbiotic, that really close Mm. relationship. And so when he died, it was like my heart was pierced. Mm. I had a big hole, and I still feel that hole. Mm. I would have this emotional pain in my chest all the time. And it was just, it was dreadful. And again, I had a choice. I could turn away from God or go to him. But at that point, I had learned through Josiah's life, I knew which way to go. (laughs) So I prayed a tremendous amount. And our faith community helped. But I, I struggle. I do. A few months after my son died, my three older children, who were adults, left home and went to different states. I was already separated from my husband, so we weren't together. And uh, the first time in, well, since I was in my 20s, I was by myself again with no children, no husband, and just by myself and grieving. It's very, it, I'm extremely lonely, extremely lonely. And uh, I just really try to immerse myself in our Heavenly Father. Mm. Um, I have a job where I drive from place to place, so I have a lot of time to listen. So I'll listen to spiritual music, or I'll I'll listen to a spiritual talk, uh, like continuously. Mm. And I pray an awful lot. Mm. I pray when I arrive at each patient's home, that God will work through me to heal them, Mm. that I step out of the way and God step in, Mm. and to keep my mouth shut when I didn't know what to say. And God's helped me every Mm. time, Mm. every time I've seen him at work. I feel like God has blessed me with a deep, deep love, a love like Josiah had. Mm. It was almost like he gave it to me when Josiah died. Mm. 
So I care deeply for people, mm. very deeply, and I feel what they feel. Mm. How do you think Josiah's life has shaped your faith? It showed me that God really is in control, that there was so much we couldn't control, and there were so many times where there were no answers. There were plenty of times when we thought, okay, he's going to die this time in the mm. hospital. And it was him that upheld us, sometimes mm. working through our faith community and sometimes mm. just simply by prostrating and crying and crying and praying. Mm. Um, so I learned reliance, true reliance, that it wasn't a myth, that he was definitely real. Mm. And his timing was always perfect. Like, I would think, I can't do this anymore. And he would intervene in some way that I could see. Mm. You know, it might be a hug. It might be a phone call or a visit. It might be a stranger or somebody in the hospital saying something, you know. But he always, always came through. Um, learned to be self-sacrificing. Didn't really have time to think about self because we were trying to keep Josiah alive learning, still learning, to be more forgiving like Josiah. Before Josiah, life was kind of like I was always rushing, you know. Like I'd start my day, but I'd be thinking about the next thing and just kind of, you know, going through mm -hmm. life kind of like that. You know, okay, this child needs this. Okay, this is going on tomorrow. But with Josiah, we didn't know how long he'd have. And he was truly content in his life. He was happy really most of the time. And he lived in the moment. He wasn't rushing. He had no worries. He totally trusted in us the way we should mm. be trusting mm. in our Heavenly Father. So he was a fantastic example that way. And he's taught me to live in the moment. Meaning that if I'm with somebody, I'm not thinking about what I need to do next. Mm. Doing that makes my life so much richer rather than, you know, like running through life, trying to get here and there and appointments. So that's one of the many things that I learned with Josiah. He was so friendly, and he touched people, strangers, anybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we met a lot of different people. And you wouldn't have interacted with these people mm -mm, normally? Not at all. And because he was different, people that had differences or that had children or a family member that was different, felt comfortable talking mm. to us and also through his eyes not that I didn't know it before but through his eyes going to meeting was the most important thing and he had such joy whereas we that are adults sometimes you have good days and bad oh, I don't feel like going or you know I'm not happy with this person or what's going on Josiah had none of that it was like here's a chance to worship and look at all these loving people that were coming together mm. to worship God. And so every time he went into meeting, it was like it was the first time he stepped in. Mm. And you felt and, you felt God's presence there? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, tell me more about when Josiah died and, and the people around you. So Josiah was on hospice. So the last few months he really went down he got very weak he started not being able to tolerate his g-tube feed so we start we had to kind of water it down so he's getting less and less nutrients and calories so he literally was like skin and bones um, by the end 
He was got to be bedridden the last few months. He barely lift his head. He was in an awful lot of pain. And even though he was in such pain, he'd still try to find a way to make a smile. He did. And the people of our faith community, they kept coming to see him. They'd sit with him. They'd sing because he loved that. It helped him and it helped us. The last day when he was dying, he couldn't see anymore. He couldn't see. And he really couldn't move, really. He could blink. Um, he couldn't talk or make any sounds. But he could still laugh. Wow. <laughs> and um, I remember my, sis, my daughter was uh, in his bed and kind of she was behind him and he was lay, his head was laying on her and I came up and she said mom do you want to switch and I said okay and I said Josiah because he couldn't see I said Josiah mommy's coming and he had this huge smile on his face and I'll never forget that. Oh. it just went straight to my soul and um, he had a teacher that would come by well he had a teacher at school he hadn't been to school for months but his teacher came that day and she started talking to Josiah about the different classmates and the funny things that they did and he laughed so even though he couldn't see he could still hear and understand and you know show some emotion and I could tell that touched her deeply and it really helped him most of that day I sang to Josiah I spent most of my time singing just singing and singing and singing and you said other people came to sing to him. Mm-hmm. And then that evening after the nurse left, we had like a four-hour window before the next nurse came. And we knew it was very close to the end because his breathing was like very slow. You could almost not even see him breathing. It was that, you know. So my daughter called. We have Bible class on Fridays and. It was Friday that he was dying. So she called over and said, is there anybody available to come over and sing with Josiah? So a big group of young people came over and he was in his bed in his room and they sang hymns and we could feel God's presence. He was with us and that reassured me how much he loved Josiah. And while we were sleeping, he, he died. We didn't know for sure. We didn't like tell them while they were singing, but when we left, we went over and realized that he really was, he was gone. Pain, I thought I'd just rent him too. I, I held his body and I wailed and we were saying goodbye and it was just so hard. It was so hard, it's still hard. And you could just go from living to death so easily. I mean, he was alive and then he was gone. No breath, no warmth, no reaction, mm -hmm. just a cold body there. Mm -hmm. And yet that was my son. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I still can't believe he's gone because he's always been alive. We were just taking care of him all the time. And he was so demonstrative with his love. Mm -hmm. I used to love coming home from work because... He, he would light up like I just much better than any Christmas tree I mean he would really light up and I couldn't even get my coat off or put my stuff down and he was pulling me over to be with him I mean just such joy and such 
love. It just was a wonderful feeling. Mm. And you could see Jesus in him, the love and the compassion. Very much. At that time with them singing, and we joined in, was very special. It was so, I know none of us there will ever, ever forget it. Mm. Just was like, he really is here. He really does care, Mm. even though he's the author of life. And we know that we're going to die. It doesn't mean that he doesn't feel our pain. Mm. What would you like to share with other parents who have lost children? That true source of comfort only comes from him. And when you're feeling distant, when you're angry with him, I believe it's okay to go to him with that, to be Mm. honest. My mom would always encourage me to be honest with him and so I would be honest there are psalms in the bible in which David's questioning Mm. God and it's like I don't get it here I am doing your will and I'm running for my life and these other people are prospering I don't get it Mm. you know and that's how we can feel and God put it in his bible so I think he did that to let us know it was okay and to find a way to connect really connect with people and find a way even though it's extremely hard to do it find a way to take care of yourself my day always always starts with our heavenly father to me his word is my oxygen it's Mm. my life you know i think of talks about god creating adam and breathes into him the breath of life and i feel like that's, his word is like that for me. So I, I have to. I have to be in his word. And I think that helps too. And when you feel that you just can't stand it anymore, somehow God helps you. Um, for me, I love music. So music's helped me quite a bit too. I go for walks. I do some yoga to try to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing, especially this time, without him is immersing myself in our Heavenly Father. How have other people helped you in what they've done to support you or or said? I I know sometimes when people die, people don't know what to say. And what things did you find helpful? Just um, having people hug me and listen. Mm. Um, That actually helped the most. Mm. Other than that, well-meaning people saying stuff well you should be happy because you had him for 17 years or now he's out of his pain and you have some freedom was not helpful yeah or people that hadn't experienced what we do coming up and say i know how you feel because you don't know how you feel i mean even people that have lost children you you have a better understanding but it's still a unique unique situation it, it really is a unique situation and so just to be there and to, yeah. to, just to be there and often people will ask me how can I help you and I couldn't tell them mm-hmm. um, other than I really love fellowship so mm-hmm. the young people in our meeting I said that to one young person and I told her about fellowship and stuff and so what they did was once a week after Josiah died they'd come and we'd have dinner together at my house and then we would do Bible reading. We would read the Bible together. And that helps so much. And different members of our faith community would bring meals or invite to go out to lunch. 
and that helped. Phone calls, cards, emails. Josiah was known by a lot of people. He touched a lot of people's lives. I mean, not only where we lived, but I mean, the country and even mm. beyond. There was such an outpouring. When we had his celebration of life, our church was so packed it was standing room only. I mean, that's how, I mean, it was just amazing. But just listening and being there. Another thing that helps that I'm still struggling with is that when you lose someone, people are afraid to make you upset so they don't mention your child. Mm. And that is like the total opposite of what I need. <laughs> I need to talk about him. I need to know that people haven't forgotten him, that he's still a part of my life. Mm. And so talking about him really helps. And it's not like they bring him up and I'm like, oh, that's right, he's dead. I know he's dead, like, all the time. Mm, of course. I mean, some of our conversations we've had so far have also been about us as mothers and, and motherhood. Um, what, would you like, what would you like to say to mothers to give them comfort and hope? I'd like to say that God is real, that even though he can seem so far away, He's real, and he really is in control, even when we think we are, and that as much as we love our children, he loves them infinitely more. got to remember that, because when you see them in pain, or they're dying, or something happens, you just are like, you could have prevented this. Why didn't you? Another counsel would be to be honest with our Heavenly Father and come to Him with that. And fellowship, talking to brothers and sisters. And like I said, I immerse myself in our Heavenly Father. That's what you have to do. And let's you talk know? about Mary, the mother of Jesus. I feel like in some of the things you shared is that it felt like you've been given an insight into Mary. Mm -hmm. When it talked about when Jesus was born and they go to the temple and that servant of God was there. And he thanks God because God had promised he would live until he saw the Messiah, God's son. And while he's talking, he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your heart. And she went through that many times. Mm -hmm. And the worst one, of course, was when she actually saw her own son being crucified. She watched him mm. in severe pain. He willingly did that, and she knew mm. that he willingly did that. He offered himself. He could have stopped it. He could have asked his father, our Heavenly Father, to stop it, but he, he didn't. Mm. And while he was on the cross, dying in horrendous pain, he looks at one of his disciples and asks, him to take care of her. He took care of his mom. Mm. The bond between a mother and a child is so strong that I can't even imagine her pain watching him and knowing that he could have prevented it. I think also, I find comfort. I think about there's, in the Gospels, it talks about Jesus' love, this one family it was two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And while he's out preaching, 
he gets a message from the sisters. Their brother is dying, and would he please come? Because they'd seen his miracles. They knew that he could raise people from the dead or even heal them before they died. But he didn't go right away. He didn't rush over to, to heal him. And he was moved while he was there when he saw their anguish and the anguish of the people there. Mm-hmm. It records that Jesus wept. It ends up that Jesus does bring Lazarus back from the dead. So Jesus knew when he was crying that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, that he'd be alive soon. So why was he crying? He was crying because he felt their pain. And that's a comfort to me because I know that he feels my pain. He was human like us and he felt their mm-hmm. grief. He felt their grief. And had his own grief, yeah. a dear friend. Yeah, yeah. And that's how our Heavenly Father loves us. Even though he's the author of life, he's, he feels our pain. Mm. And we have a great hope for the kingdom and for Jesus to return to this earth. And we look forward to that. But at the same time, we still grieve on a very human level. And what would you like to say about, share about grieving and, and to those that are grieving or in, a, in the bigger context of, of loss? That um, grieving is not straightforward. There's no time limit. People talk about different stages of grief, as if you're graduating, mm. you know, shock, disbelief, then anger, and all those kind of things. But it's fluid. You go back and forth, mm. and everybody grieves differently. Some people, like I myself, I yearn for fellowship, so I seek out people. Other people pull in because they just want to be there with their grief. And there is no time limit for somebody to come up after six months or a year, and it's been two years for me, and come up and say, are you still grieving? Grieving is lifelong. There's truly no time limit. There's no getting over. It's just asking God to help you to find a way to go on with that tremendous loss Mm. and accepting that it's very hard I'm I'm still working on that and for people to know that 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 love the person to keep keep reaching out keep giving them hugs Mm. talk about their loved one and don't mention a time limit because there is no time limit Mm. God gave us all emotions including grief and for others need to be vulnerable as well to these mm-hmm. emotions and to these relationships mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to continue to support each other. Yeah, it's very hard to be vulnerable, but that's how you truly connect when you are vulnerable. Mm. But you have to trust the person that you're being vulnerable to. The receiver has to be willing to share and be vulnerable too, and to keep confidence. If somebody tells you something and they say not to share it, it should stop there. Mm. And to not be in shock with whatever you share because we are human. Mm. And if you're shocked or, you know, kind of like, oh, no, and you're, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this is something I shouldn't talk about. I guess I'll hide it. This, this is shameful. We had a gathering of two churches. I live in Baltimore and there was one in Washington. 
that day, I just was in tremendous emotional pain, grieving for Josiah and my other kids and being alone. And you got to the point where I was, I was wailing. I just couldn't stop. But so many came to me and hugged me, gave me tissues and just rubbed my back. And that's what I needed. Mm. You know, I felt bad. I didn't want to upset people. But I was in such pain, I couldn't get up and even walk to go to the Mm. bathroom. Mm. And just being allowed to do that was a tremendous help. Mm. So we need to give each other permission to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. to express our emotion in public. Yeah, which is hard. It depends on where you live and your culture in terms of grieving in America. We don't talk about life or death or grieving. That's not something that you talk about. And um, if you cry, you're weak. Um, A lot of places at work, you only get three days off, Mm. and then somehow you're magically supposed to bounce back and be able to work again, and definitely not showing emotion. So it's, again, that mindset of if you're falling apart here, if you're crying, something's wrong, and you got to get you pulled Mm. together. But that's the exact opposite of how God made us. Mm. It's okay to cry. It really mm. is. You know, it's okay to feel. The wailing was so freeing because that's how I felt. And I couldn't hold it in anymore. Mm. I just wanted to share that when my son died, my husband and I got a lot of support. But my three older children did not. And they're grieving too. So just to keep in mind that siblings or other, they're grieving too, and they mm. also need, they, you know, it's a different kind of relationship, but it, it's not less painful, it's just different. And they're still struggling very much too, mm. just to be, to be aware of that. Mm. And also to include people, especially those that are going through a hard time or grieving, include them in your life. Let it not be that you're just meeting on Sunday and then you go your way. Mm. Invite them to your home or to do something. And you work in the field of mental health, don't you? I do. And that's that's really helped too. Uh, it's really helped. I work with a lot of senior adults and there's a lot of death and dying issues and disability and I run into people that have lost their children. And Mm. it doesn't matter really how long ago it was. There's times when they're talking that it's like it just happened. Mm. And when you can just be there and listen, it's a tremendous help. I also see God working through me all the time. Before I go to each patient, I pray that God will be with me, that he'll go before me and give me the words and work through me and he does every time I can't tell you how many patients have said to me that they feel such peace and calm and they thank me and I have to tell them the truth that it's God Mm. I asked him to work through me and he is Mm. I don't have that peace true peace only comes from him and from your work what helps you get people to open up and talk what advice would you give people to in, improve their communication skills? Because I think what we're talking about is good communication. Mm-hmm. I would say the most important thing 
is to to be caring and really listen to not look at somebody kind of size them up and while they're talking think about what you're saying going to say next and you're not listening and to be very slow to give advice there's a passage in the new testament in james and it says to be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger mm. and that's what you need to do and unconditional do not judge people you know especially adults we have masks that we wear and if you really want to touch somebody then you have to get behind that mask and the only way is to spend time with that person and to really listen mm. it shows the person that you care mm. and that you really want to be a part of their life but if you don't get to know people you cannot help and you cannot connect Yeah, it, it always comes back down to relationship. Mm -hmm. It comes down to relationship, but the key is you've got to listen. Yeah. And like Josiah, no filters. Mm. No, no filters. No judgment. No judgment. And no matter what somebody tells you, don't respond in anger or disbelief. Because we, as humans, we kind of put grades on um, sin. But our Heavenly Father does not. And we all sin. So just accept that that person is trusting you enough to tell you. Mm. You know, and try to support them rather than be judgmental and quickly give advice. Meet them where they're at. That's the key. Just like our Heavenly Father, and just like His Son, He was with the very opposite of what the Pharisees and Sadducees and the leaders expected mm. him to be with. Mm. He was with everybody, regardless of their background, mm. regardless of their disability or what they were going through. He was right there. Mm. And we need to try to do that for each other. Tell me about Josiah's favorite hymns and his music. He loved music so much. Mm. What were some of Josiah's favorite songs that he loved to sing or listen uh. to? He loved um, Pray for the Peace of Jerusalem. Mm. Um, it's a hymn about asking for God's peace to come because God has promised that his son will come back. Mm. And when he does come back, that's when there'll be true peace. And Josiah loved that song. Mm. It's very moving. Mm -hmm. And there's another one, Seek You First, the Kingdom of God. Yes. And it's a, like a children's song, yeah. but he loved that one so much. You know, he would sing out loud. When Josiah could no longer go to meeting, my daughter would record the different people in our faith community singing or saying hi to him. And that lifted him up so much mm. it was another way of communicating and mm. touching him without even being there mm. and it helped him a lot there's so many lessons learned from how that we can do that to each other mm -hmm. for each other mm -hmm. oh i wish i'd met him audrey i wish you had he's amazing really just an amazing person so glad i'm so glad that god gave him to us mm. And when he was born, I did not feel that way. But no. now I just, wow. 
incredible. He was such a blessing. To be with somebody that was content and totally trusting mm. and loving and forgiving with no judgment. Mm. Wow, that's mm. where we should be. That should, and he had it. Mm. He had it. He wasn't working at it. That was him. Mm. God allowed him to be that way. Mm. People on the outside would look at him and say, oh, this poor child. But it, he was not a poor child. Mm. He had what we all strive for. He was rich in spirit. He was rich in spirit. And he was content. And he enjoyed his life. Mm. And he enjoyed people. And he loved God. Mm.